Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. I'm Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ, and today I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Mikhail Vitaka. He's a physician in the Respiratory Rehabilitation Department at the Institute for Clinical Scientific Management in Pavia, Italy. Dr. Vitaka, welcome. It's great to have you. Oh, welcome. Thank you very much for your kind invitation. I enjoyed your article very much. For our listeners, the title is High Flow Oxygen Therapy During Exercise Training in patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and chronic hypoxemia. It's a randomized controlled trial. I'll give a little summary, Dr. Vitaka, and then um, we can talk about it. Okay. Okay? This, This is a randomized trial. It included 171 patients who had COPD and chronic hypoxemia on long-term oxygen therapy. And the patients came from eight different rehabilitation hospitals. Psychoergometer exercise training was used in 20 supervised sessions with one group that received high-flow oxygen therapy. And the other group received oxygen delivered through a Venturi mask at the same inspiratory, oxygen inspiratory function. In terms of results, Exercise capacity significantly improved after training in both groups, and they had similar patient satisfaction. There were between group differences in favor of the high flow oxygen therapy group in post-training improvement in walking distance, but not in training endurance. So the authors concluded that the addition of high flow oxygen therapy during exercise training is not more effective than oxygen through the Venturi mask in improving endurance time, which was their primary outcome, but was more effective in improving walking distance. Exactly. Great. It was really a very nicely done study. It's a challenging study. Uh, Let's start by talking about your sample. You note in your article that you evaluated 1,343 patients for your study. It's a large number of patients. And you ended up with a sample of 172. Can you uh, describe for our listeners, given the number of patients you excluded, what's the population to which we can generalize your, your results? Yeah, thank you very much. It's very important, this question. Oh, first of all, the study uh, has been conducted in patients admitted in a rehabilitative hospital with a very severe baseline condition. Uh, in fact, these patients were all COPD, very sick COPD, but all patients were uh, under long-term oxygen therapy. So all patients were hypoxemic and sometimes hypercapnic. So uh, the program in this case was performed as inpatient and not as outpatient 
setting that is usually the usual setting that uh, uh, in general is conducted uh, a training protocol. So for this reason, the inclusion criteria was a priori uh, found as extremely strict due, first of all, uh, related to the novelty of this method and to test efficacy in a very specific subgroup of patients as COPD plus chronic respiratory failure with long-term oxygen therapy need. Uh, because uh, uh, this, this choice uh, was uh, due to the fact that this kind of subgroup of patients is not usually admitted to a very strong uh, training um, program. And this um, indication for training in this subgroup of patients is not so recommended by usual guidelines. So the trial profile excluded patients, not COPD patients that we receive in our network, COPD with uh, actual unstable condition because they were, had to be uh, stabilized before the protocol. Uh, we excluded, obviously, patients with orthopedic diseases or patients with cognitive impairment because these subgroup of patients were unable to perform the effort test, and not only one effort test, but more and more effort tests. So to conclude, I'm sure that uh, in, in a study performed as outpatient, the rate of inclusion will be more generalizable with the less excluded patients. So we have um, tried to perform this study, first of all, as inpatient because the, the method was new. And so we had to test also the feasibility and the acceptance of this uh, new device. So in the future, I am sure that this device may be also uh, proposed to less severe patients. Yeah, but I think it's really very interesting to understand the subgroup that you went after. It's a very unique subgroup of patients. Yeah, exactly. Now, another choice that you made was the length of the training program. I'm always interested in the reasons behind why investigators choose interventions of a certain length. You chose six weeks for the training period. Why that period of time? Oh, this probably uh, was uh, um, not correct because, again, uh, the study uh, has been conducted as in hospital. And so, as we have described in the methods, uh, the program consisted of 20 supervised sections of training according to the number of sessions usually proposed by the international guidelines. In this case, we have uh, proposed five sessions per week, uh, lasting 30 minutes each. So in this case, in our study, the total duration of program was conducted within uh, four weeks and not six weeks. Obviously, as outpatient in a future study, we uh, could propose this protocol in a longer time. And usually, the program is proposed three times per week uh, when we uh, propose an outpatient program. In fact, in our network, we usually admit also uh, patients as outpatient, in this case, less severe, 
and the duration of uh, programs a program is uh, about uh, uh, six or eight weeks because patients are admitted three times per week. But in this case, our study has been conducted as inpatient. So it lasts uh, no more than four weeks. Okay. It was every day uh, proposed. Let's talk a little bit about your analytic approach before we talk about the results. You note in the article that you had 15.4% and 24.1% dropout in the respective groups. And for that reason, you chose to conduct a per-protocol analysis. Can you briefly describe why you made that choice and not an intention-to-treat approach? We had to focus again to the setting in which the protocol has been conducted. So the hospital setting. Or then, for this reason, the dropout rate in inpatient uh, setting was high, higher than we have um, believed before to start uh, the protocol due to the relapses of the baseline uh, diseases, in this case, COPD, rather than for the intolerance uh, for the training or intolerance of different methods, devices. In this case, um, high flow oxygenation or oxygen. Um, for this reason, we have, have um, an, uh, an, an higher uh, dropout, uh, dropout rate. And we have also performed a, a discriminant analysis to focus uh, which parameter was able to, uh, to predict the risk of dropout. And we found that only body max index, that is a typical index of general severity and strong decondition, was uh, the parameter most useful to predict the risk of dropout. So the choice uh, uh, to, of the statistical method is a long history because due to several different reviewers' requests, but the primary analysis was to measure the time spent during the endurance time, the, 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 the seconds or minutes during the endurance time. So we are, are unable to perform the final endurance test in the dropouts uh, patients because these dropouts presented a severe relapse of their disease. And so in the majority of the cases, they were transferred to the acute hospital, for example, to intensive care unit or to acute situation. So we are unable to perform the final test and uh, uh, in this case, the intention to treat analysis was impossible to perform. And so we have chosen to maintain the analysis per protocol than, uh, rather than the intention to treat method. This may be also uh, may be considered a, a limitation of the study, but in this case was impossible to obtain the final test. Now, sometimes some people would argue that you could use the baseline values for those who dropped out. I assume you chose not to do that because it would severely dampen the effect size that you saw from the trial? Fair assumption or were you thinking different? Yeah, it's a good proposal. Unfortunately, we haven't performed this and uh, um, I think that uh, 
only the uh, the, 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 the result of uh, the body max index. In this case, we have found as prediction of the risk. No, no, no one of other baseline situation was discriminant to, 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 to discriminate for uh, different results. Okay. But I, I think that you, you are wrong, uh, you are correct. And so probably we will try to perform most of this. It's, it's a good observation. Well, let's talk about your findings because they're quite interesting to me. You found that the intervention, uh, there was a between group difference in favor of the high flow oxygen therapy with respect to walking distance, but not endurance time. Why do you think you found that difference. Can have you thought about the 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 reasoning? Is there is there a physiologic reason for that type of pattern of result? Yeah, this is a very <laughs> important point. So, first of all, the the main difference between uh, high flow and oxygen in terms of endurance time in our paper was 141 seconds. That is equal to more than two minutes with an interval of coefficient of minus 18 seconds to 300 seconds. And this result is equal to uh, any 60% um, more of endurance time uh, for uh, the high flow in comparison to the Venturi mask. And in our experience, this uh, um, time of more than two minutes is clinically important and clearly related to a huge difference of patient's answer uh, according to the huge interval of coefficient. Um, in, in fact, in, in our uh, experience of real world, we have seen uh, in a lot of cases that there are a very uh, huge uh, different answer um, both inside the same uh, test and between tests. Another problem may be related to the statistical problems due to the lack of a final proposal sample size or due to, uh, due to a wrong sample size, uh, we have proposed baseline because, uh, because there, is, uh, there are an absence of previous studies in this field. So yeah. well, it, it was not uh, um, easy to, uh, to, to believe the sample size. But yeah. the mean difference between high flow oxygen and oxygen alone in terms of meters of the six minute walking distance was 17 meters with an interval of coefficient of 0 0.87 and 34 meters. And also this, this result in, in our um, experience was both clinically important, but also statistically significant. So the possible explanation of these are this, that in this very sick COPD patient with the long-term oxygen therapy need, there is a different muscles involved in cycling, for example, and walking with different possible of training effects. In fact, in real world, Cycling and walking presents different answers in terms of, for example, um, level of desaturation of oxygen in some patients, according to different 
level of severity, different phenotype, for example, patients with COPD more and more hyperinflated when compared to COPD patients without hyperinflation, but a prevalent bronchiolites. And uh, um, in, uh, we, we have studied a, a, a unique box of COPD, but with a, a higher number of patients, probably we can also perform a sub-analysis of different phenotypes and different level of baseline situation yeah. that yeah, is not fair. only uh, uh, related to, for example to the fev1 so the level of spirometry because yeah. in our experience uh, spirometry and is only one uh, um, of the important level of severity but the, yeah. in copd as in every kind of chronic disease we have a multi parameters uh, indicators of uh, uh, severity and subgroups, level, number of comorbidities, uh, um, anxia, depression, and, and, and so on. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it is honest to subtitle that uh, uh, we have no found differences between the two modalities for dyspnea, comfort, gas exchange, workload, leg discomfort, respiratory and periphery, uh, peripheral muscle strain, quality of life, and the, the motor disability. And these results push all uh, rehabilitative teams to interpret, obviously, with caution, uh, our results with non-strongly effects of this new, uh, in my opinion, fashionable device that uh, it has recently presented uh, as a boom in its, uh, in its use, in particular in acute situation. But we have very few literature in chronic situation, in long-term uh, use. So to conclude, so uh, we, we think that uh, uh, instead the no, no, not to be uh, rich, uh, the, the significant, uh, the, 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 um, the significance, uh, of the, the p-value, uh, mm, there is a, a clear trend in improvement, but we need to focus better who is the better candidate yeah. um, in the future. Well, well let's, let's talk about that now that you mentioned it. I, I was pleased to see you did examine who was a responder yeah. and who was not in both groups. Did you gain any insight as to what predicted a good responder, regardless of group? Uh, uh, our paper was not dedicated to found uh, exactly who is the best uh, uh, responder, but in uh, after this experience and uh, um, using during uh, um, real life this new device, uh, we have focused this possible uh, um, application of this new device. Uh, to, um, we usually, um, in, is, is to be demonstrated, but we can offer oxygen alone to patients with high level of dyspnea, but not presenting chronic respiratory failure or needing very low level of inspiratory fraction uh, oxygen. On the contrary, we can offer high flow oxygenation to all chronic respiratory failure patients with hypoxemia, 
yet hypercapnic, yet hypercapnic, uh, yeah. hyperinflated, uh, needing high level of oxygenation need, both at rest and during training, because during the training you can desaturate. Uh, last, uh, we have another device, very exciting in my point of view, we have studied before, that is a non-invasive mechanical ventilation. And uh, we offer non-invasive mechanical ventilation to more and more sick patients with chronic respiratory failure, yet acclimated to non-invasive mechanical ventilation at home. They are confident with this device, not hyperinflated because high push of flow with non-invasive mechanical ventilation may increase uh, tidal volume and minute ventilation and so may worse the hyperinflation of this kind of patient. And, in, and we can offer uh, non-invasive mechanical ventilation, not hyperinflated, but disabled, severely limited from ventilation, minute ventilation with severe handicap. So the, the, the best candidate for high flow oxygen is in the middle, in my in my, in, my, in my idea. But actually, we have no randomized control study to compare these three methods. It's, it's a bit I, I, I understand that completely, but I think I thought listeners would be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Mm, okay. Well, Dr. Vitaka, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk about your study with me. I want to encourage our listeners to take a look at the article in PTJ. Um, I really enjoyed it, and um, I thank you for sending it to our journal. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your invitation. Bye.